Well, our uh, ushers are here at the front, and we're going to get these lights up here in a second, but they're going to be uh, passing baskets, and in those baskets is a napkin, and I just encourage everybody to take one. Don't get your hopes up. We're not going to be serving food afterwards. You're going to be going, I need to wipe off my, my face or anything, but everybody's going to, I'm going to ask you guys all to take one, and we're going to be referring to that a little bit later in the service, and so that's what that is for. And then uh, also, I just want to remind you guys that, that next week, we have training for our KCCP, our Kids Crazy Community Party. So training is next week because the event is two weeks from now. And at this event, Kids Crazy Community Party, we're, we're going to see hundreds of kids that are going to be coming here onto our campus. We're going to have snow out back and sled runs, and we're going to be having Robin Slane, and she's going to be here, and she's a ball handler, and she's just a world-renowned ball handler for what she does. We're going to be having other games and other foods. It's going to be a great time for us to be able to have kids here so that we can share with them the real meaning of Christmas. But, but I need you to know something. We still don't have enough people plugged in and volunteering to help us pull off this event with excellence. And so we're still needing some people to say, hey, I, I'm willing to volunteer. I'm, I'm willing to help with that. And so you can go to our app and you can look at that, that event and you can sign up that way. You can go to our website, you can sign up that way, or you can stop by our Next Steps area on the way out and you can say, hey, I want to sign up. What can I be doing? How can I be helping with this incredible event that we do where we get to share the hope of Christ with kids? That, that we will see more than likely dozens and dozens and dozens of students, these kids, that we're, we're going to see them make a first-time decision for Christ as we just pull in kids from all over the community. And so what an incredible time for you to be part of something that is going to forever change a kid's eternal zip code. So I just can't encourage you guys enough to be part of that and to be able to know what it's like to be part of something like this, where we get to see people, these young kids, make a decision for Christ. And you don't even necessarily have to be that person that's sharing with them this gospel message. But just you being there and being able to help us and support us in all the different variety of ways that we need, that will be something that we need so that we can actually have the opportunity to share Christ with these kids. So enough about KCCP. Well, today we're going to finish up counterculture. And we're going to finish this up with this idea of be the blessing. As we've talked through this over the weeks that we've spent, and this is week nine, yes, and we normally don't do a series this long, but, but we've just taken this most famous message that Jesus ever gave called the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we've just been looking at this and seeing these different things that he's been teaching, because he's been teaching about what it means to be blessed and how it is that, that you and I can be blessed, that, that blessed are, are the poor in spirit, that, that he talked about that, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that are, that are hungry and, and, and they thirst for righteousness. Blessed are, are those that, that are merciful. That, that Blessed are those that they are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. And we've looked at these. And, and last week, Pat Webb did an amazing job of just pouring his heart out to you guys and sharing with you, hey, this is how we can live a countercultural life that, that yes, we, we might end up being persecuted through this, but this is where we're going to get blessed if we are persecuted because of our faith that we have in Christ. That, that if that's where people do, and, and it might be that, that persecution starts at a simple level of people just make fun of you, or people tell you, oh, you, you need one of those little crutches to be able to live out your life. You need religion. It might be as simple as that, and it might be much harder 
than that. But yes, we are going to be persecuted, but when we are, we are going to be blessed. And Jesus said that our blessing that we're going to get, that we're actually going to get a reward in heaven. Now, I don't know if that motivates any of us to where we're just kind of going around and wearing the Christian t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian, persecute me. Because my reward's coming. And I don't know that we're wanting to get that serious about it and invite the persecution. But there is going to be a reward that's going to come. And so today, what we're going to look at as we wrap this whole thing up, we're going to look at this be the blessing. And, and this is actually something that I just see that, that Jesus, this is the very next thing he went to. That, that as, after he finished saying, here's all the different ways for you to be blessed, it's the very next thing that he went to. Because, see, you and I, we, we, we tend to be motivated on, hey, what's in it for me and how, how can I be blessed? And, and, and we, are, we bend our ear and we're kind of like interested in, oh, what, how can I get blessed? But, but what if we were to also take an approach with this life? To said, we don't want to just receive blessings, but we want to be the blessing to other people. Because this is something that Jesus wanted us to embrace, for us to be the blessing. And so let's look at where he goes next. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. Who's he talking to? He's talking to every person who puts their faith in him. That you are the salt of the earth. So if you're somebody that you're a Jesus follower, you're a Christ follower, you're a Christian, you know, that, that that's who you are, that, then you are the salt of the earth. Maybe you're here and you're listening. Maybe you're online and you're listening, you're watching, and you're going, but, but that's not me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not somebody, that I, I believe that yet. I'm, I'm just still trying to search it through and, and find my way, and I just don't know. Well, this is going to be a great message for you. Because you're going to get to see something about why this belief, why we have it, why we hold dear to it, and what it means for us, not just in this lifetime, but in the lifetime to come. And how it gives us purpose here on earth to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So Jesus, as soon as he talks about how we can be blessed, he says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's lost its purpose. If we're not being salty, if we're not, if we're not adding flavor, the spiritual flavor, if we're not adding that everywhere we go, we've lost our saltiness. And what good is that? That this is something that, that we need to have. So Jesus said, hey, let me try to explain it another way to you. And he said, you are the light of the world. That that's what you are. And so, so, so the world is in darkness. That's what sin does. It just keeps it very dark. And he says, but you are the light of the world. And then as he tries to make more sense of this, he says, a town built on a hill, it cannot be hidden. It can't be hidden because, because you, you just see it all up there, and especially at, at night in the darkness, all of its light can be seen. And, and, and you, can't, you can't hide it. It's not there to be hidden. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. That, that, that light that, that we have is a light that's meant to be for 
for everyone, everyone that's close enough to see us, if you are a Christ follower, that, that you have the light of life. And it's not something that you should be hiding and go, I don't want you to see that. I don't want you to know that about me. It should be, we need to put this on display. We need to go, hey, God, how can you use me and, and, and put me on whatever stand you want to put me on so that other people can see the light that I have, the light that you have given to me because I want to be this one that is a light for everyone. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's two things to make note of here. That, that as we are shining this light, that, that they get to see our good deeds. That our good deeds, the good things that we are doing, that they are on display. Now, we don't have good deeds in order to get saved from our sins, in order to have a relationship with God. But we, we, good deeds isn't going to save us. It's not about having more good in our life than there's bad, and then we can get to heaven. It's, that's not how it works. But yet we were created to be doing good things, doing these good deeds. And so we need to put these on display so others can see that. But why? So they can look at our goodness and they can pat us on the back? No. And so they see the good things that we do and they instantly say, we're going to praise God because of what we've seen in you. That, that it's not about drawing attention to us Look at me, look at how great I am, look at the things that I'm doing, pat me on the back. It's not that, it's so that they will praise our Heavenly Father. So this is what Jesus is telling us that in order to be the blessing to others, that, that you need to be salty. You, you need to be salty, everywhere you be, be salty. Let, let them see that the flavor that, that you have and that you're adding flavor to other people's lives, that, that you are light, that you are the light of the world. And, and the whole reason that, that you have light and you're shining light is to really illuminate the love of Jesus, the love that he has for others, a love that he's given to us to love others that we would do this. So when we talk about being the blessing, I want to share with you four reasons we are to share our faith. There's four reasons. And I know this can be a little intimidating. Some people are like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to share my faith. And I'm afraid that if I start sharing it, they're going to ask me questions that I don't know the answer to. They're going to ask me questions I've never even heard before. And so I just don't know if I can do this. I know that sometimes that's not the intimidation. Another time it's the intimidation of, but I don't live my life perfectly. And so people are going to see things in me and they're going to see my, my flaws, my spiritual flaws, my spiritual warts. And, and they're going to be going, yeah, I don't want to listen to you. Well, that's true of every single one of us. It's true of me. That I've got, I've got flaws. I've, I've got things that I fail. I've still got sin in my life. And, and, and if that were the, the, the thing that we use to measure, can we share our faith or not, then I'd never be able to share my faith, and I certainly wouldn't be able to be your pastor. And so we've got to set that aside because this is one of the tactics that the enemy wants to use is he wants to convince you that you are not good enough and that you should not be sharing because people are going to look at your life and go, and who are you to be telling me? And he wants to shut you down because he doesn't want people to enter into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So let's look at these. 
four reasons that we are to share our faith. And the first reason is it is our calling. Now, this can be a little Christianese to, to talk about the word calling, and it's definitely a churchy way of saying things. But, but so many times we look at this from a standpoint of vocational ministry and say, hey, are, is that something you're, you're called by God to be doing? It's not just vocational ministry where God does some calling. Every person who becomes a Christ follower, it is your calling by God to be sharing your faith. Every, it is our call. We're, we're, every believer is called to do this. So let's look at some scripture and, and see where we find this. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I have to be a Christian, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. One of the ways that we symbolize this taking place is baptism. That we symbolize it this way because it's this sense of that we take and we bury people and so we put them down into this water and we bury their old sinful self and we raise them back up. And then they're all glistening and glowing. They look different, but they're the new creation. The old is gone. The, the new has come. Baptism doesn't actually do that. It just symbolizes what has already taken place when somebody does become a Christ follower. And if you're somebody that, that you've not followed through and, and being somebody who you've gotten baptized since becoming a believer, you're missing out on a biblical example of what it is that we should be doing. That when we look in our Bible, the only example we see of baptism is after somebody has made a decision for themselves to become baptized, to be known and to identify this way, to submit to God this way. And so you're, you're missing out, but, but this is what... He is saying that Paul is one writing this, and he says, And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We actually looked at this a couple of weeks ago. And we looked at this idea of reconciliation, and reconciliation, it actually means, I'm not going to pop quiz you because I don't trust that you listen that well to me, but, but, <laughs> but it means paid in full. And hopefully some of you guys are going, oh, yeah, that's right. We, we did. We talked about that. And, and it does. To, to, to reconcile something is, is to pay it in full. There, there, there's a zero balance. Nobody owes anything anymore. You know, that, that, that I grew up at a time that, that my parents would constantly reconcile their bank account. You know, and we don't do that too much anymore these days. But, but that's what they would do. And they'd look and go, hey, is everything paid in full? Is it all balanced? Is it all equal, equal to zero? Yes. It does. But, but this is what's happened, that, that God, he, he reconciled us to himself. That, in other words, we don't owe God anything, even though we've had sin in our life, because we put our belief, our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus. And he has said, you owe nothing anymore. Jesus paid it all if you'll let him. And, and it brings that balance to zero. But he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So now there's a responsibility, a calling on us, that, that, that we're to be ones that are going out and helping to reconcile people to God, helping them see, listen, God's paid that for you, will you let him? You, you don't have to owe God anymore. You don't have to owe because of what you've done with your, it can be paid in full. It's our ministry of reconciliation that we have been called to, that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, 
not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Take this seriously. He's committed this message to us. It is our calling to be sharing our faith with others. Because this is what he has called us to do, given us this message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal. What's these last two words? Through us. Do better than that. Through us. That God is making his appeal to others through us. It is our calling to share our faith. That this is something that we need to do. And why do we need to do this? It's because of another need. That people need God. It's the second reason of why we should be sharing our faith. is because people need God. Some people don't recognize that need. They don't know that they have that need. Other people, they, they think, I, I know I need God, but I don't think God wants me. And so God wants to use us with this ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation, to help others see. And, and if it's somebody that's not even a, a pastor, somebody's not in vocational ministry that's doing this, sometimes that's going to be somebody who's going to have a better breakthrough than somebody who's a professional doing this. And that's why God wants to use all of us to share this message because people need God. In John chapter 3, we often think of chapter 16, for God so loved the world, but, but what happens right after this? Right after this, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That sometimes people think that the message of Christianity is a message of condemnation. And it's not. In fact, what, what Jesus says next, I think, clears it up more than what he says right here. And he, and he said this, that God didn't send him what, into the world to condemn the world. And so then he clears it up and he says, whoever believes in him, he's talking about himself, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. See, there doesn't need to be any condemning. Because without Christ, we're already condemned. There, there, there's no sense in condemning somebody because they're already condemned. And it's why we, we need Christ. Because whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You know what word doesn't exist right here? It's behave. It doesn't, he doesn't say it's because they have not behaved like, because it's not our behavior that saves us. It is our belief. And I keep using this word save because it's about saving us from the penalty of sin. And the penalty of sin is forever to be separated from God for all of eternity. And so we get saved from that. We get saved into heaven. To be able to be with God in heaven for all eternity. Belief is how our need for God starts to be satisfied. That we have this need and how does that need get satisfied? It starts with our belief. 
And then once we have a belief in God, then our behavior should be starting to change. But it's not that we change our behavior so that now, God, will you accept me now? Have I changed enough now? Have I changed enough now? Have I changed enough now? No. It's, do you believe? And what does it mean to believe enough? Do you believe that, that you are somebody that, that you've got this sin in your life? This, this sin is what? It's, it's falling short of God's standard for your life. It shouldn't be too hard for any of us to believe that, that we would fall short for God's standard because if we all are honest with ourselves, we fall short of our own standard of ourselves for our life. All of us do. No matter how low your standard, we all fall short of our own standard for life. And so it shouldn't be difficult for us to understand that we fall short of, of God's standard. And when we fall short of God's standard, that's what is sin. It's missing the mark, missing the target of what God says, this is how you should be living your life. And, and, and the mark is, is very easy to remember. It's very easy to know what it is. It's just impossible to get there. Because it's perfection. That's God's standard. And instead of God lowering his standard because you and I couldn't live up to that, he sent his son to come and live a perfect life. And he did. He did not miss the mark. He lived a perfect life. And he became a sacrifice for our sin. A payment for our sin. That's what Jesus did. People need God. But not only do people need God as a reason we should be sharing our faith. People want God. There are people that they even go, I, I, I want to believe. I, I want God to accept me. I, I, I want this, but I just don't know how, and I don't know if God will. And, and there, is, there is a genuine want that people want God. So let's look here at what, <clears throat> what we see that in Ecclesiastes, this, this, in, in this, I'm trying to get the word out, King Solomon, um, that, that he wrote this, this very wise guy, and, and he says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. And he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. But God has set eternities, planted eternity in our human heart. That we long for something more than what we're ever going to be able to get in this lifetime. We long for it. And, and, and people that don't understand this, they, they think, I, I've just got to keep working and grinding and I've got to squeeze as much as I can out of this lifetime because this is all there is. Because their heart, there's something planted in them to, to get even more than what they can get in this lifetime. And it's because God has done that. He's the one that's planted eternity in our heart. And without God, our eternity, it's hopeless. People want God. But we need to show them that, that God is ready and available for them. And what's the last thing of the reason of, of why we should be sharing our faith? Is because I was once lost. That if you're talking to somebody that doesn't have a relationship with God, that, that I, I was once there. Even if you grew up in church and, and you're, you're going, hey, I, I, I'm hearing that about God and I, and until you 
have this personal belief in him and you choose to follow him, then you are lost. And, and, and there is a moment where anybody who is a Christ follower, there is a moment when somebody finally goes, I believe I'm all in. I believe, I, I believe my need and I believe who Jesus is. I'm in. And every person who is a Christ follower was once lost. And we can never lose sight of, of the fact that we were once lost. In 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. What does this all die? Well, that, that anybody who's willing to put their belief in Jesus, we die to ourselves. So I'm not living for me anymore, but I'm living for him. I'm living for you, Jesus. This is what I'm doing. So you got that napkin. If you're watching online, that, that you just might want to get something else that, that you could be writing on. And hopefully you guys can see that there's a, a pen in, in the seat back, whether you need to reach behind you, whether you need to reach in front of you. But there's a pen if you don't have one with you. But, but I want to share with you a very simple way to start a faith conversation. And the reason I'm using a napkin is because I want you to realize that, that even if you're in a restaurant that has disposable, they might not appreciate it if you did this to their cloth napkins. But, but even if you're in a restaurant that has just these disposable napkins, if you just got a scratch sheet of paper, you can do this. You can share this. It's just a simple way for you to start a faith conversation, for you to do this with others. And so, so as you think about having this faith conversation that you're going to do, that we're going to look at something for you to be able to go, hey, how can I do this? And so you're going to kind of want to think in that writing space as I'm going to give you five specific things, and they're all going to be about equally spaced. So if those of you guys that are trying to think, how am I going to do this? And I know some of you guys are like going, I'm not going to play along. And if you're, you're going to finally get to the point where you're going to go, oh, I need to do this because this, this will work. This, this will really work for me. And so it, it's really a way for us to, to show and tell in a very short, simple way the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus. So I, I actually have somebody, his name's Burnaby, that I've met recently that goes here to Crosspoint, a friend of mine, and, and we've gotten together a few times already. And, and so, so he's the one that actually shared this with me. And, and when he shared it with me, I thought, oh, this is amazing. So, so I want us to look at this. And so it's just five things we're going to draw. And the first one's this down arrow. And, and we're going to draw this arrow, and, and we're just going to tell people, Jesus came down. It's important for us to know this, that, that Jesus already existed in heaven, and he came down to earth. And he came in the form of an infant. And we celebrate that at Christmas, right? But, but the, the short of it is, we just need to know and, and, and begin to tell Jesus' story by just drawing an arrow down and, and telling people, Jesus came down. And he came down. He came down for you and for me. And how do we know that he came down for you and for me? Well, we know that he came down for you and for me because he gave his life on a cross. That he died. And he died as he died as a, as a payment for sin. Because see, Jesus lived a perfect life. 
And the only way that sin can be atoned for, paid for, the only way that sin can be made right is that there has to be a blood sacrifice of something that is without blemish, without fault. And Jesus is the only one that ever existed in human form that has lived this. And so he died. And he died as a payment for you and for me, as a ransom payment for you and for me. And what happens next? That he was buried. This is to represent a tomb. Because he was put inside of a cave in this tomb, in a cave, and it was sealed with a rock. That, that he was buried. They buried him. But when Jesus was alive, he said over and over and over again that I'm going to die, but three days later I'm going to come back to life. And he had said this. He, he predicted it. He, he's the only one that has ever predicted his death, the way he was going to die, how he was going to die, how long he was going to be dead, and that he was going to come back, and he did. When somebody does that, they're worth listening to. There's no other religion that has somebody that they can say did something like that. It's just Jesus. And then he, he rose, and he returned to heaven. He did. He, he returned to heaven. And that's where he's at right now. And he's, he's in heaven, and he's being an advocate for anybody who will put their faith, their hope, their trust in him. And anybody who, who comes to these pearly gates, he's right there going, Hey, Dad, I know that one. Let them in. Hey, Dad, I know that one. Let, let them in. Yeah, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know that one. And when Jesus says, I don't know that one, the Heavenly Father is going to say, depart from me. And they're not going to be allowed into heaven. And the last thing that we can share with them is that he's coming back. He's coming back. And we don't know when he's coming back, but we know that he is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to put an end to existence the way that we know it on earth. And it is going to be an eternal existence going forward. This is a simple way for us to be able to just begin sharing our faith story. For us to be able to do that. And, and for those of you guys that just might have missed it, I just want to put these simple little words that, to help you understand this is what they are. That Jesus, he came down, he died, he was buried, he rose, and he's coming again. And for you to just take two minutes, three minutes to, to be able to jot this down with somebody and then say, would you be interested in hearing more? What do you know about this? It's just a great way for us to start sharing our faith, for us to do this. That when we think about Jesus, what he did, Jesus didn't just die for me. 
And when we're not willing to share our faith story with others, we're not willing to tell others about Jesus, we make it as if Jesus only died for me. But he didn't just die for me. That, that we see also that he died for all. He died for everyone. That, that Luke, we can see what Luke wrote in Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He wrote these words that, that Jesus said. That's why I came. I came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. I, I, we, we live in a time when, when people are less interested in church and God than any other time in history. The, the, it, it, we, we now live in the time, it, it, people have the least interest in church and God than any other time in history. And I came across an interesting statistic. And the statistic that I came across was, was this, is that 88% of people who they, they don't know God, they would find God if they could meet some Christian who lived like Jesus. Not just a Christian that, that says, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I believe in But if they could meet a Christian that, that would live like Jesus. And obviously, Jesus was perfect, and so we're not going to be able to get there. But as close to that as what we can live, the more likely that, that somebody who's far from God would find God, would discover God, and begin a faith relationship with God. It is an 88% likely chance of somebody who does not know God when they see a Christian living like Jesus that they would become a Christ follower. But in the same study, they discovered the opposite to be true. That when somebody who's far from God doesn't know God and they never meet a Christian who lives like Jesus. They're 88% likely to never believe in Jesus. That, that people are looking through a lens that they're seeing people before they see God. And they're determining what they think about God based on what they're seeing in people. And I'm not advocating that that's the right way to do it. In fact, I think it's wrong. And I think they're making it harder for themselves. But it's what they're doing. And, and, and if we could know this and understand this, maybe we could get a little bit more motivated to, to live more like Jesus so that we can help others and we can be this advocate that Christ has called us to be, sharing this message and ministry of reconciliation with others. That a significant factor in people knowing God or not knowing God is determined by those of us who are Christians. Have you ever heard somebody, because I have, have you ever heard somebody saying they don't want to be a Christian because of another Christian? And you, ever, you ever heard anybody say that? And they don't say because of another Christian. They say because they name a person, right? And, and, and they claim to be a Christian. No, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And it is a great tactic that the enemy is using that says, hey, you, you, you've got to discover God through people. You can't just go direct. You can't just open the Word of God and discover Him, which we can, but the enemy is really working overtime to try to keep us from knowing this. That, that, that when God does a, a deep work 
in our lives. It makes our lives more attractive to others. But we've got to allow him to do this, this deep work in our life. And so in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. And if you're somebody that, that you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you're familiar with this passage. We've even done a, a series on it. But let me share with you from a message, from, from the message instead of from the New International Version. And we look at this from the message. It says, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, that we see we develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way into life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. This is what happens when God does a, a deep work in our life. And another way to, to see this, it's, it's love that sacrifices. This is when God does a, a deep work in your life. It's joy that just overflows. When God does a deep work, it's, it's peace that just kind of subdues the situation. It's patience that endures no matter how much it gets tested. That it's kindness in action. When God does this deep work, there's this kindness. It just begins to, to be this action. It's goodness. It's goodness that shows that people get to see that. It's, it's, our, it's our light. And they get to see our good deeds. And they do what they praise our Father in heaven. It's our faithfulness. And it prevails. And when God does a deep work, we continue. We stay faithful no matter how hard things get. It's gentleness of heart that we become gentle with people. We're not, we're not rough and abrasive that we become gentle because of this deep work that God does and this strength of spirit. This is what it looks like when God does a deep work in our lives. There's a guy named... John Maxwell, Dr. John Maxwell. And I didn't find out about him until after he left full-time pastoring ministry. But he resigned from his church because he really felt like the, the, God, the, the calling that God had on his life was, was to be a, a leader of leaders and develop even more leaders and to be able to, to share Christ with those who weren't willing to come into the doors of the church. And so he's become a, a, a renowned leadership coach. And that he, he gets to, to meet with guys that are part of the Fortune 100. And, and I heard this several times recently. That when John is having a conversation with some of these guys, that they're so successful the way the world defines success. But he just sees the torment in life that they have. That this is the line that he uses. I wish you had my peace. And I think if we could take a little napkin artwork 
and see somebody that's struggling in life and to begin to have a conversation with them It says, I wish you had my peace. Well, how do you have the peace that you have? Let me show you. He came down. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He's coming again. That we can do this, that we can share this. We can share our message of hope. People are looking for hope. I was reminded of this recently that my son married the love of his life October 15th of this year. And at his rehearsal or their rehearsal and their wedding day, I was just so encouraged as I watched people that were really close to him and watching him live his life and they would just stand up and they were sharing different things about him. And the two things that they just kept bringing up over and over and over, no matter who stood up, is they talked about his faith and his faithfulness. They talked about his faith and his faithfulness. And and then there was the wedding day, and then the father of the bride gets up and does his speech, and, and the things that he begins to say about Noah, it was just like, wow. You see that in him? But I tell you that for this reason. It was at the wedding, less than two hours after that father spoke, that I had somebody come to me and said, that was at the rehearsal dinner, and it was at the, he's heard all these things about Noah. And he says, I need help. He says, I, I see the life that Noah has and I see the life that you have. And I need that. Without using the words, this is what he said. I want the peace that you have. And we've got people all around us that want the peace that we can only get by knowing God and knowing him deeply. And that is a peace that any and everybody will crave if they can literally see that and know that that's possible. And so, yes, that you are, you're the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. That go and, and you got to go be salty. That, that you got to go and you got to shine your light. Don't, don't be trying to hide it and go, oh, I really don't want you to know what I am and it's, it's, no, hey God, where's the stand? Where can I step up? Where can I shine so that everybody can see me? Be the blessing. Be the blessing. That that's what God is calling for you and for me to do. Imagine this. I want my life to be so attractive that people who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me. This should be the mantra of every Christ follower. That every single one of us, that we would look at this and go, I want my life to be so attractive that people who who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me.
It's be the blessing. That we need to go and we need to be this blessing. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to who? Everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. And so I've given you a tool so that you can be prepared. And I want to give you another tool that you can, that you can use. That Peter says, he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Don't, don't do it harshly. You don't need to condemn them. Why? Because they're already what? Condemned. And so we need to be rescuing them. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. I think sometimes we try to share our faith in a quarrelsome way. And we shouldn't be. That <clears throat> he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone and able to teach, not resentful. That they wouldn't resent us because we're sharing our faith. And opponents must be gently instructed. People that are opposed to Christianity in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. That God would, God would be the one to do this. Leading them to this knowledge of the truth. Thank you. <clears throat> and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So I've got one other thing I want to leave with you. And that is this. It's when you leave. We're going to have ushers at the door. And we want to give you a pen. So that you don't have to go, where'd that napkin go? I forgot that. And that you go, hey, I got my little cheater right here. So that you would be willing to share your faith. And that you would have a tool. That you don't have this excuse, I don't know how. You can't tell me that anymore. Because you know how. And you can't tell me you forgot because I'm giving you a pen. And when you've already done it once and you go do it again, now it's going to be in your memory. So go and be the blessing. That is the counterculture life that God is calling us to. That we would be this blessing. We're going to be salty to people. And that we're not going to be overly salty. because <laughs> But we're going to be salty enough that it adds flavor. That we're going to be light. We're not going to blind them. But we're going to just kind of shine a little light to help them to see what we already know. And that when we do this, we get to be ambassadors and we could help reconcile, bring the balance to zero. You don't owe God anything anymore because you believe. That's the message that we get to share. Be that person that 88% of people who are far from God would see you living like Jesus and say, I want that. Pray with me. God, what an incredible 
message you gave to your son to share with us about, about the way it is that we get to be blessed in life and the way he finishes all this up with the way that we get to be blessed because we're a blessing to others. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that the God appointments you're going to be giving us to be able to share our faith with others. Give us the courage and the boldness. Give us words that we might even be able to just speak what you want them to hear. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.